Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Well, this week I'm talking to myself. I've been fortunate enough to hunt all over the West this season, uh, New Mexico, Oregon, Idaho, with a bunch of good friends. We had a bunch of highs, we had a bunch of lows, but what I'm going to try to do is uh, put a button on on the elk rut. So this week on Cutting the Distance, I'm going to do kind of that post-mortem of my archery elk season. I've been able to talk to a lot of people that spend a lot of time out in the woods, and I've kind of put my conclusion together um, you know, on, on how the elk rut went, and um, we're also going to highlight some of the greatest lessons I learned this year. So as always, we're going to start off with some listener questions. If you have questions of your own, please submit them to ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com. Myself or my guests will do the the best job we can answering them. So the first question today, and and we're starting to get a lot of these uh, rifle questions, you know, late season elk hunting questions uh, rolling in. And and a lot of people ask, what, what do you mean by early season, late season? So if I had to draw a line between what's considered an early season elk hunt, um, I would say like post rut, Um, you know, the ruts over, um, we're now going into a different zone. And so with that early season, you know, a lot of times you're going to have your archery equipment. Um, A lot of times, you know, there's, there's extremely early season prior to the rut, which some some states allow you to start hunting, you know, in August. And then that archery season, most of your archery seasons kind of centralize around the rut. So many states, um, you'll start to get that pre-rut, which, you know, end of August, to, um, you know, first few days of September, peak rut being kind of mid-September, and then that post-rut going late September into sometimes middle of October or even later. Um, a lot of hunting uh, estates will then close their hunting seasons um, and then switch over to a different weapon, whether it's muzzleloader or rifle. Um, and then we we consider that our late seasons. And then there's, in my opinion, there's two different 
um, stages of the late season. There is late season where feed is still available up high. Um, you know, one, either weather hasn't pushed them down or uh, two, their, their food hasn't burnt up or they haven't had to move down. And then there's the, the, the extremely late season where these elk will now have to start to migrate because of weather, they have no food left up high and they, they, they tend to push down, which starts that migration. So um, what we're talking about here today when we talk about late season, in my opinion, is switching over to these rifle seasons and, and you're going to be hunting you know, late October through November, you know, maybe not a lot of migration involved quite yet. Some people have always asked, you know, why do they put the seasons where they do? And so your rifle season typically are put where those herd bulls and bulls aren't as susceptible um, to being you know, forced out into the open by the cows. You know, a lot of time that bull wants to stay with the cows. Those cows and, and calves are typically looking for feed. And so a lot of times those herd bulls during the rut will then, you know, quote unquote, get drug around by the herd or be with the herd. And they're a lot more susceptible um, to being harvested, especially if somebody had a rifle. Well, we set these rifle seasons or a lot of these states have set their rifle seasons so that the, you know, the chance of escapement is a lot higher. These bulls tend to go off on their own. They tend to go off and feed alone. You know, the larger the bull, typically the, the more likely they are to be alone or with a bull of their caliber or their age or maturity. Um, a lot of times once these smaller bulls start to break off, you'll still be able to find them in their, um, you know, smaller bachelor herds. Um, but they're typically trying to recoup from the rut. So that's why we put those rifle seasons, uh, where they are. These, these bulls are going to go to the deepest, darkest, um, you know, more secluded places where they feel, um, safe. And, and that's where we're going to find them. So question number one, what is the best strategy for elk in the late season? And so once again, we're going to take these that we're, we're going into a, a typical rifle season. Um, very much like my archery season, uh, you know, my archery tactics, I love to get up high into glass. Um, now, I want to break my glassing down into the two different um, you know, types of glassing. You can get up and you can look at a large portion of the unit. And what I'm doing there is trying to figure out what elevation the elk are at. Maybe I, I can, you know, spot some of these bulls that are off feeding alone. Uh, but I'm really just trying to figure out where elk at, where do they want to be? Um, I'm not necessarily super concerned with finding cows. You know, a lot of times late October, early November, there will still be um, some immature bulls running, you know, with the herd. But for the majority of the time, those larger bulls, more mature bulls are going to be broken off. So I'm getting up high early in the morning, trying to glass as much as I can. Um, you know, if the weather's still nice, you may only get, you know, half hour to an hour max. These uh, bulls are going to feed. They're going to go back and bed down somewhere. Um, so we're trying to maximize the time, let our glass do the walking. Um, I'm up high. I'm glassing, you know, for that first hour, hour and a half. And then um, we're moving. And, and the, the second stage of glassing is there's a difference between once you've located some elk or you're starting to really dial in or look for specific animals, you need to get in, in my opinion, get into areas that can't be seen um, very easily. And so with that said, I'm trying to get, you know, two or three miles in, maybe I've got to walk down a, a finger ridge. Maybe I have to go, you know, get up on a cliff or, or climb a steep section. Um, I'm, I'm using Onyx. I'm using a lot of our mapping software, you know, aerial photography, um, trying to put together, you know, where the, the terrain and where the vegetation and how it lays out and then where I'm going to be able to see and to select nooks and crannies. Um, you know, a lot of times, like I said, these, these bigger bulls want to go into areas where, uh, 
you know, they, they can, they can feed out in the open, but not necessarily be seen or they don't get bothered near as much. So I'm trying to, to be able to look into those areas and, and I'm not looking, I will sacrifice a morning or a night or an entire day in order to, to, to find the animal or find the target animal or find the animal that I, I want to go kill. Um, we may sacrifice a morning and night and, and just lay eyes into this country, knowing that we may be two, three miles away using our spotting scopes, using our binoculars, doing as much glassing of as much country as we can. And then once we find that animal, uh, we will then, you know, draw up a plan, um, to go, to go try to kill that animal. But a lot of people, I feel they're not willing to give up a, a morning hunt or a night hunt. Um, you know, they're always, they always want to have their gun on their shoulder, you know, um, with a, a chance to kill. And, and I feel that a lot of times investing in, um, you know, a glassing session or whatnot can be very, very um, advantageous. So if the country allows, um, if it's set up to do a lot of glassing, I like to do that. Now I grew up, uh, you know, in, in Western Washington where we do get to glass some clear cuts, but a lot of times um, in these rifle seasons, some of these bulls have figured out that they can live in the timber and never come out in the opening. So, or, or there's a mix between, you know, semi-open and timbered country, um, you know, timberline country, whatever you may be in. Um, you know, if we're in timbered country or an area where I, I believe there's a lot, if I can look into the timber or I'm in the timber and can see that there's a lot of food um, and, and that the elk won't have to leave that, um, there is a chance you may have to go still hunt in it or um, you're going to be glassing the fringes very, very early, very, very late. And then you're going to have to get into the timber, you know, if, if there's a target animal in there. So you need to be able to adapt, um, to the country you're hunting, to the vegetation. Um, and then my ideal area is right at timberline. Um, you know, I want to be able to look above timberline if the elk are still up there. If not, um, I want to be able to find, um, you know, small feed areas, whether it's avalanche shoots, whether it's small meadows, whether it's small little side patches where those elk can feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, you know, bulls specifically when they're feeding by themselves, when they want to be secluded, um, but they want to get, you know, access to that higher quality food. Um, I'm looking for, for small little um, areas in the timber um, and stuff like that to, to concentrate my glassing. And then once you find those elk, you have to put together a plan on killing them, you know, and, and it, sometimes it's a lot easier uh, said than done. Um, you know, some, some country we hunt is very, very big. Some of it's broken up. And, and, you know, a lot of times the more broken up country is actually easier because we can get on ridges. We can, we can plan our approaches to get a whole lot closer to these elk, which actually sets up a lot better um, as, as far as having a, a plan to go kill them. If you're in, in big, big country where, you know, the, the canyons are, you know, you know, half mile, mile across, you know, you can't shoot from side to side. Um, you can't get any closer. Um, you know, a lot of times moving to their side, um, puts you at a big disadvantage because your visibility is way, way low. Um, you've got wind that you're dealing with, you know, even though it's rifle hunting, we're still paying a lot of attention to the wind. Um, you know, as these late season will bring a lot more, um, weather and weather systems that will then, um, do some crazy stuff with the wind. So as you're, as you're making your plan, you know, ideally for me, my, my, my ideal plan is to pattern, um, these late season elk. A lot of times they will continue to do the same thing morning and evening. They've got their, you know, preferred food source. They've got their preferred or preferred, uh, bedding area. And they're just going to keep doing, you know, they're going to go in the morning. They're going to go from feed to bed at nighttime. They're going to come from bed to feed. Um, 
and, and so I'm going to ideally get myself within shooting range, whatever my comfortable shooting range is of where I expect those, um, you know, that bowl to present itself. And like I said, a lot of times it's, it's easier, you know, said than done, but you need to look at everything, you know, wind, um, where you plan on them coming out, what's going to give you the best view of the area. Um, and all of that will come into, you know, finding the elk, but then the, the plan to killing them, you need to put some thought into that. And, uh, you know, if, if it's in the timbered area, you're going to have to figure out, you know, how to get the wind right. Um, you know, use elk trails, use, um, you know, be as quiet as possible um, and, and try to make your, your play on how, on how to kill those. The next question, late season calling, uh, you know, uh, a typical question I get is, hey, I've got a rifle tag um, for such and such unit. It runs November 1st to the 10th. What calls do I need and, and, and what calls am I going to make while I'm out there? And as much as I would like to tell everybody like, oh yeah, go buy a beagle tube, go buy some diaphragms, you know, buy, buy one of everything. Um, in my opinion, from what I've seen, um, we don't use calls near as much as we do during the rut. Um, and, and I'll give some of my reasoning for that. One, you're drawing extra attention to yourself. Um, if, if you're out there cow calling or getting, let's say you spotted or heard it, you know, a thousand yards away, you close the distance to a couple hundred yards. Um, we need to remember we've got typically, you know, some sort of a long range weapon in our hand, you know, something that's capable of two to 300 yard shots very comfortably. If we were to go get within 200 yards and try to communicate with those elk through calls, whether it's a cow call, um, you know, I would say bugling is completely off the table, but if you were to bugle, all you're doing in, in my opinion is, is letting those elk now know of your location and then you're putting a whole bunch of extra eyeballs on yourself. Um, you could have got to that same position silently, had zero eyes on you, and then been able to have a lot more time to make your decision, maybe find the bull. You know, all of these things that happen when we finally get in close, like where am I going to set up to shoot? But by making a call, you've now alerted them um, to your location. And a lot of times that gets a lot of eyeballs on you. Um, let's say it's a late season, you know, timbered rifle or, you know, late season archery, whatever it may be, um, you get in tight. A lot of times it not only does it put eyeballs on, in your direction it now alerts them, you know, elk in my, in my opinion, know of other elk that are around. They don't, you know, there is a chance a new elk just showed up and it won't put them on alert. But a lot of times in my experience, making a call out of the blue, they kind of know like something's up or if it's not a great call, um, you know, they all kind of perk up. They all kind of look around. They all lift their heads up from feeding. They're all looking in your direction. So number one, eyes in your direction and it puts them a little bit on edge and on alert. Where I will use calls in late season, um, number one, if I'm still hunting, as I mentioned a lot of times growing up in, you know, the, the Pacific Coast rainforest, you know, we're hunting, um, still hunting. We're, we're literally walking through timber as quietly as we can trying to spot elk before they spot us. Um, you know, if we got the wind right, a lot of times we could smell them beforehand and whatnot. But if we were happened to bump an elk, um, but they didn't necessarily smell us, they may be seen or maybe heard us. We can then use a cow call. A lot of times I'll, I'll still hunt with a diaphragm in my mouth. I'll make a couple cow calls just to settle them down. Maybe that will be enough to get them to settle down and, and I can, you know, get, get to the next ridge and maybe make a shot from ridge to ridge or, or whatever. Um, we have used some aggressive, um, tactics in, in late season when I've hunted with some buddies, we've actually broke up herds, like specifically went in to bump them and then use some lost cow calling, um, some long drawn out cow calls to call them back to a location. We've had a little bit of success with that, but for typical late season elk calling where I love to use calls the most, 
is in an area where I need to stop an elk for a shot. Um, if I'm shooting three, four, 500 yards across the canyon, whatever it may be, say it's brushy and I've only got certain spots that are going to work for a shot. I don't typically want to yell across the canyon, you know, the, the meh. I don't want to yell, hey, I don't want to get in, you know, do any of these things. Uh, a loud external cow call is a great way to stop that elk. And the thing I like about using a cow call is typically as long as he's not scared, he's just you know feeding or moving like they normally would, you can typically get them to stop for longer than just a second or two. Um, if you yell, if you make the, you know, the fake meh, a lot of times they'll stop, but then they'll get nervous. Like they kind of figure out what that sound was versus if you're using a natural sound, like a loud cow call, I typically, I like to, you know, call on it as loud as I can one time, get them to stop. And then they are going to have eyes on you. So I, you know, usually don't like to be moving by that time. Hopefully the shooter's down ready, um, tracking the elk. So we will use, um, cow calls, uh, you know, in that, in that instance to get them to stop for a shot. Um, I guess do what the elk are doing. I, if I showed up to an area on October 25th, let's say for a rifle hunt and there are bulls bugling their head off and I feel that by bugling back and locating bulls is going to give me an advantage, I'll always have my bugle tube around or in the truck or a diaphragm available. Um, you know, quick story, my wife's first bull back in 2017, October 29th, we hiked into an area. Um, she had a tag and we, we started to hear a bull bugle down below us on October 29th and I could kind of you know, listen by the type of bugle that it was, that bull was still running. He still had cows in the heat, whether they came in on a second or a third cycle. And we got to listen to that bull bugle probably 300 times that evening as he pushed his herd of cows up past us and she was able to make a shot. So uh, I didn't have my bugle tube in that instance. And I probably still wouldn't have called because I could hear, um, that they were ultimately going, you know, moving from down below us to up above us. Um, and we were just going to let them go by anyways. We had the wind good in our face. Uh, but in that instance, you know, if, if we wouldn't have killed that bull that night, I wouldn't have hesitated to go back in there the next day with the bugle tube, knowing I could probably get that bull to respond. So, uh, you know, do what they, you know, do what the elk are telling you to do. Um, you, you don't want to be out there if the woods are completely silent, you're around elk and you're the only one out there hammering bugles. Um, you don't want to be the only cow in the woods just, you know, screaming on estrus wines. So do what they're doing and, and you're going to be safe. Um, don't try to force the issue. Don't overcall because in my opinion, sometimes you can do more harm than good by one, alerting them and, and getting a whole lot of eyes looking in your direction. Um, the last user question, what time of the day should I be hunting in the late season? You know, so where... Uh, we typically archery hunt all day, but we always know that, you know, morning and nights are going to be best uh, with the most action because you get that, you know, it's it's hotter um, in the midday. The days are longer. So when it comes to rifle hunting, um, number one, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a mindset change for me is I've got a gun in my hand. I'm now more lethal. You know, it just takes that one, that one elk to show itself in the wrong spot or the right spot for me. Um, wrong spot for the elk and and I can be successful in these late season hunts we've now got cooler weather which will let those bulls and and cows those elk will be on their feet a lot more um, as they're using more calories to stay warm um, and, and to survive they're going to be on their feet more they're going to need to put down more calories on top of that bulls specifically it puts a toll on them getting through the rut. You know, you, you kill a bull late August, early September, you go to, you look at them and they're just loaded up with layers of fat. You kill a bull 
post rut, and that thing is wore down to nothing, you know, nothing but meat and bones. Um, those bulls are trying to, to recoup very, very quickly because they just went from the rut. They've got a very short feed window, and then they're going to have to survive the winter. Um, so those things will be on their feet a lot more. So with the cooler weather, and then we also have shorter days, right? Um, you know, it, it's crazy to start with an archery season where it seems like you're getting up at 4.30 and you're going to bed at 9. By the time a rifle season comes around, you're getting up at, you know, 7, 6.30 and, and you're, you know, it, it's dark by 6 or, or 5.30. It's it, it's pretty drastic. But that also, uh, you know, uh, in my opinion, um, with shorter days, I'm, I'm out there more. So during late season, if I were, if I have a tag in my hand, I'm hunting all day from morning till dark and don't give up on those middays. Yes, you may not see as many elk out in the wide open, but during that midday, concentrate on brushier, uh, more of those fringy, fringy areas. And when I say fringy, it's like you're not out in the wide open meadows. You're not way out away from the timber, you know, above timber line. Um, but you're looking at where, let's say timber meets the meadow or maybe a brushy avalanche draw, or maybe just a brushy area in the area. A lot of times those, you know, bulls will feed in there, um, all day and feel like they're secluded and, and they're hidden from any, any danger. So, um, midday, Switch your focus from wide open feed areas to kind of that secondary feed um, where where they're a little more comfortable and, and you can a lot of times create plays uh, midday that you can go capitalize on that evening or before the day gets you know um, you know too dark to, to to be able to hunt. So my opinion, hunt all day in the late season, especially if you have a gun in your hand. Um, you never know when you can find success. So that kind of wraps it up for for some of the the Q and A. Once again. If you have your own questions, email us at ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com or hit us up on social and we will make sure to do our best job uh, putting an answer to it. All right, now we're going to jump into the final field report for the 2022 Elk um, the engineer in me really wants to break this down based on components. Um, and some of those things, when I look at the rut, I look at kind of where was the timing? Um, how did the timing line up compared to what I typically think of the rut? What was the intensity of the rut? Was it on fire? Did it seem to be lackadaisical? What was the weather that we experienced in each of our stops? Um, herd behavior, which also kind of ties back into intensity. Like, were there subdominant bulls trying to challenge? Were they uh, pestering the herds? Um, I'm going to pull out the callability uh, component. You know, it, it's a it's a piece of us being archery hunters. Like, how callable were the bulls, and, and what did we see on that? Uh, you know, as far as trying to call these elk, and, and how susceptible they were to calling. Um, and, and one thing that's hard because we're never in the same spot on the same herd you know, at the same time. And so I, I do my best here. I, I'm going to kind of preface this with, I'm going to do my best to kind of um, overarch and overreach my my opinion here on years past and being in similar areas and, um, you know, a similar elk. And then the other thing is I've got a chance to talk with, you know, 30, 40 other guys. You know, I get back, we all, me and my buddies all get on the phone, get, you know, some of our pro staff, some of the guys that use our calls, whatever it may be. And we just kind of BS about hunting, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what was your big takeaways, um, you know, and so on and so forth. And so I'll try to do my best to kind of roll all of this um, together. So timing of the rut. Um, 
I would say I'll, I'll give my my overall opinion and I'll kind of break it down. So timing of the rut, in my opinion, seemed to be later than you know past. And, and by past, I don't mean a year or two ago, but the typical rut timing seems to be late. And I don't just mean late by a couple of days. I'm thinking, you know, seven to 10 days off um, a, a typical rut cycle. You know, I, I got to hunt New Mexico with Ryan Callahan this year. Um, we were a few days ahead of when um, Steve Rinella and myself got to hunt the same unit last year. And so we've got a very, very good location, same elk, um, just a few days off. And the end of me and Cal's hunt kind of overlapped the beginning of me and Steve's hunt. And what we saw was very, very different uh, elk behaviors between the, the, the two different years. So 21, um, Steve and I started hunting on September 5th, um, 2022, Cal and I started hunting on the first, but we did get four days of overlap. The, the larger herd bulls this year were still by themselves on September 4th and September 5th, which seemed very strange to me. And when I say larger herd bulls, um, we were covering 10 to 12 miles um, a day. We were, you know, locating a lot of elk. We were getting to lay eyes on on herds. And the bulls that were running the cows weren't quite in the same category as some of these bulls that were off still bachelored up. So number one leads me to believe a lot of times we see, you know, those smaller bulls running herds into late August, but by time September rolls around, we can almost always guarantee that those larger bulls will then take over the herd and court the cows, um, you know, for the rest of September or until an even larger bull shows up. So I was a little um, concerned seeing that the the two largest bulls we seen on the entire trip were, were solo by themselves we also made a move on the largest of, of all of these bulls, got within 125 yards thinking he's by himself. We got down next to him. Wind was really good. We cow called um, 125, 150 yards away, and the bull never made a peep. Um, a lot of times, you know, if he's ready or even if he's not ready, by September 5th, he's going to be accepted. You know, he's going to be accepting cows, make responses, make a movement. So we didn't know that bull was there. We made some cow calls and continued moving. And then ultimately, you know, you're a little concerned, like, well, as a last ditch effort, we don't think anything's here. I'm going to bugle before we walk out of the canyon we just crawled into trying to get this guy. I let a bugle out and and that bull takes off ripping, you know, right out of the draw, right down below us. I could have thrown a rock and landed on its head. That bull takes off. And so you have that scenario on September 5th. You fast forward to September 5th with me and Steve, we call in three or four different bulls on the first evening and you have what I would consider dominant bulls, bigger than this bull that me and Cal tried to call in, all of them bouncing around from group of cow to groups of cows, trying to figure out where they fit in in the pecking order and they were all battling it out. You know, when I say battling it out, not literally battling it out, but they were all posturing. They were all moving um, four groups of cows already. Um, so that, w- that was a, a pretty good sign in New Mexico that, that, that the timing was late.
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at FishingBooker.com to book your trip today. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. move on to Oregon, I would say timing was a little more typical. Um, we had, uh, you know, a little bit of bugling, um, but, but timing was still a little late. Like it wasn't a ton of action. They would kind of shut off midday. We did have a couple days where we could get them going midday. Um, but really just weren't cranking yet. Like that unit should have been fast forward to Idaho. We don't show up until, um, 18th or 19th. And the elk there just aren't going. We're in elk. We see elk. We know we're in elk. And those things wouldn't make a whole lot of sound until we got right on top of them. Now, fast forward to the very end of that hunt, um, 26th, 25th, things are finally starting to get going. Um, we have hunted this unit. Um, we've had people hunting this unit the last couple of years. Uh, Dirk's hunted it a couple of times. And, you know, he always said it was very good early, you know, 10th to the 15th. And then it kind of actually seemed to have hit like an October lull. Um, and so for us, it's another indicator that this thing seemed to have been seven to 10 days late, later than normal. Um, I'm not a 
I'm not a weatherman. I'm not a climate, you know, specialist. Uh, whatever, whatever keeps track of you know climate change, whether you believe in any of that or not. But one thing I do notice is spring always seems to be later. We've been having about the last five years. You know, winter's later, spring is later, summer seems to go longer. Um, we saw some calves with spots on them this year, which leads me to believe that even last year, 2021, we were seeing some of these cows get bred late, late into November, December. Um, but, but to back up, I feel like if I had to put uh, an estimation on it, the rut was seven to 10 days later than what I typically saw, you know, back in, in the, the early two thousands when, um, everything, the peak rut really seemed to hit, you know, the 13th to the 17th of September, um, I would say that, you know, this year peak of the rut was maybe 23rd to the 27th of September and we were going to get pretty good rut action well into October um, is kind of the timing of that. Now, the intensity of the rut, one of the other categories I kind of want to break down the rut, the intensity was way, way down um, this year. The the full moon hit, I believe, oh boy, I'm going to guess and probably be wrong. I want to say it hit towards the end of our New Mexico hunt. So, you know, somewhere around the 7th or 8th, we kind of got that full moon and then we were on the tail end of it. So I don't feel like, you know, the moon was necessarily a huge factor. A lot of times when you have full moon, um, those elk will kind of rotate their rut more into the, the to the night. They will they'll get very intense at night and you won't just see as much uh, rutting activity during the daylight. But I didn't see the moon really have any effect on the intensity and that may have a, have a strong correlation with the timing. Maybe they just weren't there yet, but is, is we started to go from the full moon back to, to no moon. Um, we didn't see like a, a linear, you know, pickup on, on the intensity of the rut. It didn't seem to like spark it or, or get it going when we were in Oregon. Um, so in my opinion, the intensity was down. I, I'll talk a little bit about herd behavior, which in my opinion, the intensity of the rut really has to do with the herd behavior, what the other subdominant bulls are doing, and uh, a little bit of an observation I had on herd behavior that really uh, was was not typical, um, and, and especially for the areas that I got to hunt this year. So um, intensity seemed to be down. Now, with that said, we we did get into some great action. Um, we were able to finally get get the intensity turned up. But we talk about this a lot um, when we're setting up in some of our calling strategies. I felt like a lot of that intensity was on my shoulders. We would locate a bull maybe with just a, a response. Uh, I would locate Bugle or one of our callers, one of my buddies would locate Bugle and we would get an answer, but nothing too intense, nothing that was over the top. And we would move in and a lot of times we would want these you know, bulls to keep bugling there really wasn't any of that. We would have to make a, a good decision. We would have to make a good call on where he was at, get in tight, and then have to work really, really hard on getting his temperature turned up. You know, he was he was very relaxed. Um, and this was morning and night. Typically, these these turn up the, the intensity situations have to happen when they're in bed or late morning, early evening, kind of before they really kind of get going or the herd starts moving. Um this was morning and night um, and throughout the day. We'd have to go get in, start to make calls, start to make excited cow calls, um, excited bugles, challenge bugles, and then we could slowly get the intensity turned up. Um, and in, high, in Idaho especially, these elk were not interested in answering you from across the canyon. They weren't really interested in answering you, you know, from six, 700 yards away. We had to get very, very close. 
they would they would call on their own occasionally. We had to take that little bit of information, develop our, our plan, get the wind right. A lot of it was just a guess. We thought they were in this area. Sometimes it would take us some time to get there, and we just had to kind of guess that they were still there. We would get in tight, and then once we got within four, you know, three, four hundred yards, we could start to hear them a little better. They were bugling very, very quietly without a ton of meaning, a, a ton of force. It was just very, very quiet bugling. But when we would get in, set up, you know, let's say we were 150, 200 yards away, we could start to get those bulls to, to get that intensity picked up. Um, but it was a lot of work. And, and like I say, it was a little frustrating knowing um, running this multiple times on, on different herd bulls and different satellite bulls that we were unable to get them to answer across the canyon, which really has you um, second guessing everything you do because you feel like you put yourself in a good spot. You feel like there should be elk there. There's elk sign there, but yet you cannot get an answer. Um, and so it's, it's one of those real frustrating times, um, you know, to, to be an archery elk hunter that likes to call because you really had no, no idea if you were in elk or if you weren't an elk. Um, so, you know, that intensity, you want those things to answer back quicker. You want them to be interested and you want them to continue to answer. Um, weather this year, the weather for 2022, um, in my opinion, ha- has a big effect on kind of snapping them into uh, a better rut, um, you know, a better rut from a hunter's perspective. The weather all across the West, I don't know too many places, if any, that I've seen a bunch of rain or, or a bunch of weather issues. I would say my typical weather forecast from the first day we were in New Mexico on September 1st all the way to the last day I hunted Idaho in September 28th, um, aside from the day before we drove into Idaho, which was a, a kind of a, a quick little wet mess there, um, extremely hot, extremely dry, not a lot of water where there's typically water. Um, New Mexico, you know, it's more of a, a man-made water game. So there is water where we expected it to be water through tanks and whatnot. Um, but the weather was very, very warm. And what's very frustrating for an archery elk hunter is when you've got 30 to 40 minutes to hunt in the morning, and then you have to take a 10 hour nap because those elk are completely non-responsive the rest of the day until right before evening. And they're bedding themselves, all of them, not just a few of them. They all seem to bed in a flat top or a flat bottom where the, the wind just would not allow us to make an approach from, from any direction. So, um, you know, weather was, was hot. It was dry. Now I don't mind clear and cool. I don't even mind some hot days, but we need, in my opinion, you want a little bit of rain. You want a little bit of cold, you know, and then, and then a warm snap, you know, you want some days where it doesn't get above 50 or 60 in the mountains instead of every day being, you know, in the seventies. So, um, I think weather played a little bit. I don't think you just want the same static weather pattern for an entire month. It doesn't give you, um, you know, any of those, uh, you know, cold snaps or, or, you know, warm snaps and, and, and changes is really what you're looking for to kind of change that animal behavior. So weather didn't help us out at all this year. Um, herd behavior. This is more of an observation when we go and locate elk either by, you know, typically by um, glassing them up. We noticed very, very little uh, challenging. We noticed very, very little um, bull-to-bull bugling or communication when they're out there. It seemed like the pecking order was very well established this year, and the herd bulls that were in the area were running the show, and the satellite bulls really weren't that interested in messing with the herd bull at all. 
And uh, the, 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 the most glaring instance of this was when I was in Oregon, you know, a very, very good unit, a lot of bulls that are not only, you know, upper end, but a whole bunch of bulls that are in that next tier, you know, um, very mature bulls and most units would be running herds. We saw very, very little challenging from those bulls. And we saw very, very, very little opportunity to call those bulls in. They were either by themselves, non-vocal, or just not interested. You know, there was one evening we got into a little bit of a bugle fest. You know, it's a big brushy hole. Um, we kind of just all disregard for how much noise we were making. We kind of ran in there and we had a a, a mid-size six kind of messing with uh, with a mature, you know, 320 type six point. And that was really the only crazy bull to bull rut action we had experienced aside from us trying to insert us into the, into the calling game. So real, real weird, um, you know, herd behavior in New Mexico. Like I said, the, the only two bulls beagling at each other were the two biggest bulls that really didn't have any cows around or, um, so real strange there aside from bulls, just calling back and forth to each other across the Canyon, or maybe answering a location bugle, Oregon seemed to be herd behavior was one dominant bull with, you know, 25, 30, 30 cows kind of just running the show, some smaller satellites really just feeding way off to the side. Um, in Idaho, uh, herd bulls were making a little bit of sound. We did have, um, satellites around the herd bull calling, um, but real, real non-vocal. The herd bull was actually doing the majority of the calling, which is sometimes, you know, not what happens. A lot of times those satellite bulls will give away the herd. But yeah, just real weird where we didn't have a lot of satellite bulls keeping that herd bull talking so that we can make good decisions, plan our approach, get the wind right, and do all the stuff we normally do. Um, herd behavior was was definitely um, down this year as far as uh, subordinate bulls challenging for the herd or pestering the herd bull. And then the main thing I'm looking at as far as how the rut goes is how callable were the bulls. Um, and this is where you know, had great success in the past. And some of these same units are very similar units in New Mexico being as early as we were, we had very, very, uh, lackluster results. I would say, as far as being able to call a bull into our lap, you know, the very first day, September 1st, we were able to, to call in what I would call even a more immature bull, um, to very close range. He was full of piss and vinegar. Um, he was one of those bulls where once he responded a couple times, you're like, all right, I can throw anything at him. You know, a couple challenge beagles raking a tree. And we had that bull come in. And then from there on out, we watched a, a very large five point, um, very mature bull go from having cows to losing his cows. And then when we, when he lost his cows, um, you're like, all right, I'm just going to go in and cow call this bull. And it seems like a, a, a perfect opportunity for him to get cows back. Just really not interested. So we, we ramped it up to bugles and he just, he just wasn't interested. He was going to stay hundred yards, 120 yards off and, and not make any, um, you know, change. Now we did get into a lot of calling battles, but it seemed like the ability to, to move these elk, you know, the last, uh, you know, 40, 50 yards sometimes was very, very difficult. Um, also bulls that just weren't, interested in in committing they would they would call back and forth you could play the you know i'm over here you're over there game we can let each other know where we're at but um the ability to move that elk um you know midday or late morning just wasn't going to happen if they weren't on their way to feed or to bed they weren't really going to change their location i think that comes back to the weather and the heat they just weren't going to pull themselves um you know off of there Um, we did have a couple other chances there just for one reason or another, couldn't get them to commit. Move to Oregon, about as frustrating of elk hunting with a call in my mouth that I've ever experienced during the rut. 
Um, these bulls did not want you to get close. You know, our, our normal game plan is get very, very close. Um, estrus wine, challenge beagle in his face. You're basically saying there's a bull there to take your cows. That was maybe the worst thing we could do is get close and bugle because they would find enough time. They didn't really care. We had multiple bulls walk away from their cows when they are the herd bulls. Um, they would just leave if they couldn't round up their cows and leave. So we realized very quickly we couldn't call to the herd bull. So we switched to cow calling. Let's get in close and cow call. We did have a couple call-ins that were very successful with cow calls, but then a bunch of scenarios where it didn't work. Um, so we would get in close we would try to cow call, and once again, they would either leave or it would put eyes on us, and by the time we would get something set up, um, it didn't work out. But a lot of times, that bull was not interested in listening to a cow call. Um, he would once again kind of round his cows up and leave, um, and it turned into Oregon. We were hunting elk a lot like mule deer with a bow. Be very, very quiet. Try to be, you know, sneak into shooting position. Um, try to get into an ambush position ahead of them. And time after time, you know, we'd find ourselves kind of coming back to, hey, calling should work here. And we would, you would try to resist it the whole way. You'd go to make a call and sure enough, you would screw the whole thing up again. So um, very uncallable. Idaho, the elk were callable once we would find them. Like I said, they were very, very quiet. But once we would get in close, get them to start talking on multiple occasions, um, we were able to call elk in into shooting range. Um, or they would come in silent, but they did what elk did. Like, I don't necessarily think that, you know, elk are always going to come in bugling. We had elk come in silent. We had opportunities, um, and, and, and things did line up. So Idaho, they were definitely more callable. So my, my button, my recap on... You know, the rut here, the elk rut for 2022 seems to be a little bit later. Intensity seemed to be down, at least during bow season. I wouldn't be surprised right now, um, you know, if those bulls weren't still talking very well into the end of October. Um, weather was hot. We need a little bit of different weather to, to kind of break that up. Herd behavior seemed to be down. We didn't have, you know, satellite bulls challenging and then callability. Um, I don't know if it was the area of the units I was in compared to normal, but um, you know the first two hunts were frustrating, especially having back-to-back New Mexico hunts where they were extremely callable in 21, not very callable in 22, and then one of the best units in Oregon just having it very, very tough to be able to call to these bulls um, was real frustrating. So that's kind of my recap on this year's rut, and that's kind of breaking it down on timing, intensity, the weather we experienced, what the herd behavior were like, and what the callability was. So um, like I say, I think if we continue to get these slight changes in later winters, later springs, we're going to continue to maybe get this rut timing moved back, which I don't know if I'm ready to, to, to start to plan around that or not, but we may start looking into, um, pushing our archery hunts later into September, maybe moves from, you know, if we can get rifle tags earlier in October, we may start using that to our advantage and seeing if what I believe is happening, um, can translate into, into some hunter success. So um, once again, thank you very much for tuning in to Cutting the Distance. Um, this is kind of my uh, my synopsis on the field reports for the 2022 elk rut.
Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. <laughs> 